listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. And welcome back to another episode of the Astros Future Podcast, presented by Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. I'm your host, Jimmy Price, also known as Astros Future. You can find my work at AstrosFuture.com and find me on Twitter at Astros Future. And I'm your co-host, Brian Hamilton. You can find me on Twitter at BHAM1720. And be sure to follow the official Apollo Media account at Apollo HOU, as well as hitting the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Today on the podcast, Brian and I are going to discuss some of the prospects that are performing, uh, debate how to fix the Astros bullpen, and then recap some of the last week's games at all of the levels. So we'll go ahead and get right into it. We'll, we'll jump into AAA, talk about the Skeeters here a little bit. Uh, last time we talked, they were playing really well. They've continued doing that. Uh, they had a couple good wins. They finally had their home opener this past Thursday, I believe. Had a walk-off, did get a game rained out. But overall, they're, they're sitting at 9-5 and five right now. They got a game coming up later today where Framber uh, Valdez is supposed to make a rehab start. But just nice to have that team, you know, right down the street um, and yep. playing well. And, you know, one of the guys that, that people have been really talking about, mainly because I think the struggles of, of Miles Straw as well, but Jose Siri, he's continued to hit the ball coming into today. He's hitting 396, got four homers, 24 RBIs. But I know, you know, we've talked about him a few times. There's the concern there is, is people are high on him. They want to see him. They want to see him in center field instead of straw. But you know, he's got like a 29% strikeout rate. And his batting average on balls in play is like, you know, over 500. So I do think there's some concern there. I can understand why someone would want to see what he can do at the major league level. I mean, if the guy hits 220, maybe like Straw is, but he throws in, you know, some homers and uh, drives in some runs, I think it would be worth it. But overall, you know, he's a guy who still had a, had a really strong first week and he still kept it up at the AAA level. Yeah, definitely. I mean, m- with regard to Jose Siri, um, one of our Twitter buddies, Steve and uh, LC, had mentioned that rather than people clamoring for Jose Siri to take over for Miles Straw, we should be hoping that. Um, James Click can possibly flip him to a center field needy team for a decent prospect or two, you know? Um, I mean, you, you hit it on him uh, as far as like his uh, strikeout percentage, his BABIP, everything is just kind of like, everything's going right for him right now. You know, I think if we're going to be moving uh, on from straw and center field, you're going to see Chaz McCormick get a better, uh, longer look and a look before Jose Siri. But yeah, but all, all things considered, he's doing great down in AAA. Man, it is. It's really badass just to know that we've got guys that are going to make rehab starts 45 minutes away from the stadium rather than multiple hours away. Uh, and you remember the days whenever our AAA team was in uh, Oklahoma City. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's just cool that it's just right down the street, you know, um, in case they need a coach or two to go over there just to monitor him and see it firsthand. It won't be hard at all. But yeah, uh, the Skeeters, they started it off. Their offense has been killing it. Uh, Jose Sears has been a big part of that so far. Yeah, no, and it, it, like you mentioned, it's it's nice that they're right down the street and that we get to to see them. And not only that we get a team in AAA that's that's in Sugarland just a few minutes away from both of us, but you know they're they're successful. They're they're playing really well. We we've seen some minor league teams that the Astros have had, you know, recently or even in the past that that have struggled. And the the Skeeters are not that right. You know, they're sitting at nine and five coming into today, but the yep. the team ERA is is three point eight four, and the the team batting average is three twenty five. So I mean, they're doing it right on both ends of the ball. And another guy that has really been 
been killing it, who is probably pretty unknown to, to most Astros fans, but Brian De La Cruz. He's been in the system since 2014, but he's just he's still only 24 years old, and he's in AAA right now, and he's got three homers, and he's hitting 407 so far this season. He had a, a game the other day where he had two homers, then he uh, had a walk-off, which would have been like an RBI double, but you know they, they only give him the single because of the walk-off. But he had a walk-off uh, RBI single the other day, and he's really hitting the ball well. Another another corner outfielder, another tweener-type yep. guy, kind of like a, a Chas McCormick, a guy that can probably play some center field but is more suited for, for the corner outfield. But, yeah, the, the team overall has just had a lot of a lot of really good offensive performances. And uh, we mentioned it before, you know, yeah, they're playing in a league and playing at, at certain um, certain stadiums, which are conducive to, to, to hitting like Albuquerque and stuff like that. But overall, the, the pitching has been has been really uh, solid, too. Yeah, I mean, you play the schedule in front of you. That's one thing you and I have been preaching uh, for these last few weeks. And uh, the Skeeters have been doing really well. Brian De La Cruz, I'll, I'll be honest, had I hadn't heard that name in years because I, I the name I was re- I recognized the name. I knew it was an older player, but I didn't realize he had been in the system for that long. But it's good to see him uh, performing. You know, I mean, corner outfielders are probably them along with utilities are, are like probably the most called up players just to have spot starts or just a bench bat. You know, I mean, they can be used everywhere. Look at Chaz McCormick, like you said. Ronnie Dawson's another guy who I'm sure we'll see at some point this year again at the big league level. So whenever you perform down there and you're that close to the majors, that's that's really good, especially the position you need like that. Yeah, definitely. And and you know, there's I mean, like we've mentioned, there's gonna be injuries at times and we're gonna need guys to step up and and get at bat to the major league level. So just seeing guys down in triple A having success like that and knowing that we do have, you know, prospects that we can turn to 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 have some quality major league at bats. And I mean, I think we're seeing it with Chaz McCormick right now. Yep. You know, he's he's getting some spot starts for Miles Straw, and when he does, he seems to be performing. I I know he doesn't have a ton of hits, but it feels like his hits have all been, you know, either run scoring doubles or home runs. And, you know, he's just, he, he's, uh, he's getting some good quality at bats and he's really making a push to, to kind of try to take over that center field spot, which I know we'll talk about a, l- a little bit later, but yeah, he, he's a guy that I think a lot of fans right now are hoping to see maybe get some more consistent at bats. Cause we've seen him you know show off that power. He's doing it in, in limited playing time. So if he gets more consistent at bat, you know, at bats, then what could you potentially see? But so there's another guy I want to highlight down at AAA right now, and, and mainly because of some of the bullpen struggles we've seen, which we'll talk about on the next segment. But Ralph Garza, he, he's a pitcher down in uh, AAA right now, relief pitcher. He's pitched in three games. He's gone six and two-thirds innings, and he struck out 11. He's only allowed one hit. So uh, really good performance in relief right now. And I know the Astros are probably going to want to see more, especially right now they already have so many guys that have been placed on the 40-man and are going up and down in a, a Tyler Ivey and a Peter Solomon and then when we get, you know, Valdez and Odorizzi back, he's not a guy that's probably going to get a call up right away. But with the bullpen struggles, it's nice to see, you know, some relievers really having a lot of success down in AAA. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said, the bullpen's been, I mean, we're going to get into it a little later on, but the bullpen has been terrible these last few days. Um, so any type of good pitching performance and, and sustained pitching performance that we see down at AAA, I know a lot of people are going to say, okay, well, we need to bring this guy up and bring it up and push another one down because we need that kind of, um, you know, performance at the big league level. So, I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily realistic, but, you know, Ralph Garza, he's still, he's, he's doing his thing, man. He's, he's pitching really well. Like you said, I mean, 11 strikeouts, um, just over six innings pitched. Uh, he's doing what he needs to do, man. And I mean, like he'll, he'll catch the eye of somebody at some point if he hasn't already, I mean, he caught your eye, you know? Um, so, you know, we could see him later on. You never know. So we'll jump down to the double A level now, start talking about the hooks a little bit. And, and it's it's pretty crazy because over the last probably, man, you know, 
eight years, nine years or whatever, really since since the Astros started revamping the system and, and the rebuild and everything with the drafting of uh, you know Springer and then Correa and McCullers and all that, the Hooks have, have had a quality team. They've always had top prospects. They've always had guys that you wanted to go watch, and, and they've had really good teams. This year, it just it doesn't feel like that's the same kind of hooks. But they're they're six and ten coming into today. The average as a team is only two hundred. The, the ERA is like four point three. The weird part about that is they're striking out like twelve point two per nine innings. They, they they're striking out a lot of guys that pitch staff is. But this week they played a little bit better. They got a couple walk off home runs for Matajevic and uh, David Hensley. And uh, Hensley's a guy I kind of want to talk about because coming into this year, his his, his career high in homers in the minors was six, and he's already got four this year. This season alone, he's played first, second, third, and short. So he's all over the infield. He's like, I think he's like a six five, six six kind of guy. But he's oh, hitting the ball. He's driving in runs. He's 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 uh, driving the ball. I think his his walk off home run was to right field the other night. It was actually pretty pretty funny. So the way that game went down in the tenth, uh, Marty Costas had a, a hit that looked like it was going to be a walk off winner, and the umpire ended up ruling that it hit the guy on first. And you know they end up having to go to the the eleventh inning, and then Hensley you know won it with the walk off homer to right, but. He, he's rounding first, and if you go, I don't know if you happen to see the video or not, but he's rounding first. He's so pumped up, he actually ends up tripping on his way from first to second. He you know, rolls over, gets up, and then he, you know, he's like, I mean, you just see he's so fired up. The manager's so fired up, but um, really cool to see, and it's just nice to see another, you know, utility, uh, utility type guy down there hitting the ball well, driving the ball, and then and playing all over the field. Yeah, and also one thing about David Hensley, a twenty sixth round pick. So I mean. Uh, they still can perform, man. They can still come out of nowhere. I mean, remember Oswald, he was a late round pick as well. So just because they're not in the first couple of rounds doesn't mean that they can't contribute and become a major leaguer. And, um, you know, I think at some point when Ronnie Dawson eventually gets either moved or moved up to, to the big league club, you could see David Hensley basically take his spot at the AAA team as kind of like that jack of all trades type of super utility guy. So it's good to see him producing. Yeah. And it's, it's nice to get, you know, contributions, even if they don't, you know, make the majors, but just to, you know, like you mentioned, a 26-round pick having success in double-A at what he's doing. And, you know, McCormick was a 21st-round pick. Uh, Josh Rojas, who we traded for for Zach Greinke. So, I mean, we got value right there. We drafted him, I think, in the – it was somewhere in the 20s, maybe the 20th or 27th. It was something like that. Um, and they yeah. ended up trading him for Greinke, and he's actually been a pretty good player for the, for the Diamondbacks uh, over the last couple of years. But, yeah, you're right. It doesn't matter where you get drafted. It matters how you perform. And I think we've seen it time and time again where guys are getting drafted late and still coming in to perform – the next guy in double A that once again, we've been talking about all week that we everyone's got their eye on is Pedro Leone. And he he's struggling a little bit still. He, he the strikeouts, fortunately, they've gotten a lot better. He, he's making more contact. Um, I've seen some of his at bats and I've seen him lay off some tough pitches. There was an at bat a couple nights ago where he swung at like a two one slider that probably bounced like two feet in front of home plate. Really bad looking swing. Uh, put him in a, uh, or that was maybe it was a one one, but put him in a bad count. And then two pitches later, he ends up laying off like really close uh, pitches and draws the walk. So nice to see that that adjustment from him. But uh, he did have another homer this week. It was a grand slam, actually. It was a, and he's a guy. He's got two homers, but both homers have been like absolutely demolished. I mean, his, his yeah. grand slam he hit was like well over the uh, the bullpen in left center field for the hooks. And and I don't know how often you're you know you get a chance to you know watch the hooks, but man. That field is a tough field to hit the ball out of because there's a really strong breeze coming in from right field. So lefties really struggle, even righties struggle sometimes. And and man, he's like I said, he is crushing the ball out there. So he you can see the tools. He's got three stolen mm-hmm. bases. You can see the tools that that led him to get that kind of bonus. It's more just getting his feet wet right now and getting settled down. And if you 
it's incremental improvements. But if you look at what he did in the first week compared to the second week and what he's done recently, you know, the, the improvements are there. He is striking out a little bit less, making more contact. So, you know, it's just going to take some time for him. Yeah, it's like you said, man, but, you know, his bombs that he hits, like you said, they are monstrous. It's it's, it's almost like, remember back whenever we drafted Springer, and I think he started with uh, the Jethawks, and back then, or it may still be because they're not one of our affiliates anymore, but that place was a launching pad, oh, yeah. you know, and when when George would hit a bomb out of there, dude, it would, like, clear the, the fence and then some, not everyone, but that's who those bombs kind of remind me of. I'm not saying he's like George Springer, but, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of power. But, yeah, man, I mean, it's like you said, he's got all the tools. You see the tools there. But two years without playing organized baseball, that's going to have a toll on anybody. And, I mean, he's just shaking off the cobwebs. Plus, I'm sure, dude, that a lot of that is just him being excited to be in America, to be uh, close to the pros. And he's just anxious. You know, I mean, he's striking out a lot because he's trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark every time he goes up to bat. You know, I mean, coaching will get him to settle that down. So I'm not concerned with Pedro Leon at all. I do think that what this means, though, is we're likely to see him uh, in the minors the entire season and not see a call up as some were hoping for. Yeah, no, I can agree with that, especially, you know, there's not an immediate need for him on the roster right now, especially with them playing him at shortstop. So I could see him, I could see them just taking the time, letting him get comfortable down there. And, uh, you know, he's only 22 years old. He's still, he's still pretty young. Another guy I'll give a little shout out to, Brett Daniels. He's, he's down in double A right now, pitching in, uh, in relief. I think he's made a couple starts, but he struck out 22 in 14 innings. And unfortunately, when you watch like the Hooks game, they don't have the radar reading to see how hard a guy's throwing. But man, watching him, I, He's got to be throwing, you know, mid to high 90s. I mean, he, he looked electric as a reliever. So he's a guy that I'm interested to watch to see how he continues to perform in relief. Because once again, we talked about the Astros bullpen struggling. And yeah, he's down in double A. But if he continues to have success in relief, maybe he gets a, you know, gets a called up to the Skeeters and, uh, you know, hopefully can potentially be in a, an arm that we can look at using, you know, not maybe not this year, but maybe here in the near future. Yeah, for sure. And again, another late round guy, 17th uh, round just a few years back. But uh, but yeah, man, I mean, not just with the bullpen, but just our starting rotation, because as, as we've talked about in the past, not saying our rotation's bad by any means, it's not. But as we talked about in the past, you know, we don't have a bunch of those Verlander types in our system, but we have those solid pitchers Like they go out there, they hit their corners, they're solid pitchers, you know, and you never know. I mean, if, if, a, if a guy goes to the rotation, that opens up a spot in the bullpen or, you know, vice versa. So any good pitching performance that you see in the Astros minor league system is something to keep an eye on, not just one or two times, but sustained good pitching. Um, I mean, that's just all, how it is in all of baseball. So he's just another guy, like you said, that, uh, you know, he could end up getting a call up at any point to yeah. the next level. So we'll jump down to the high level, the, the Asheville Taurus. Uh, they're sitting at seven and nine coming into today. They're actually playing right now. A guy I noted on here, I put these notes down prior to them starting, Corey Lee, a guy, of course, we're going to talk about Asheville's first round pick a couple of years ago, but coming into today, he was hitting 294 with the OPS a little over 800, three homers. So far today, he's got a two-run double. He's sitting at 297 right now. So we've talked about him. We talked about him with Jim Callis, you know, a few weeks ago, and he's a guy that I think a lot of us are really hoping that he he has success with the bat. You know, first round pick, yeah. been a long time since we've had a really good catching prospect, and so far this season – it's, he started, He started. you know, he struggled a little bit really early on, but he's, he's been swinging the bat a lot better. And like I said, mentioned, you know, those three home runs and driving in the run. So, you know, hopefully hopefully this is a good sign for him moving forward and hopefully he can make quick work of high A and we'll end up seeing, a, uh, seeing him in Corpus at some point this year. Yeah, I'm sure we will. I mean, he, he's one guy that while you also are looking at the bat for sure, that's what everyone's going to be looking at is his stats. You also want to make sure that he's going to stick behind the plate. And we haven't seen or heard of anything negative behind the plate so far with him which that right there is going to skyrocket him in the eyes of a lot of people if he can stay solid behind the dish as well as, you know, hold his own with the bat. 
And I know that you were tweeting out a lot of his stats earlier in the week, and that just got me excited seeing him um, hitting hitting some bombs, getting on base, doing what he needs to do. Just hopefully his uh, defense, um, you know, behind the dish just stays where it needs to be so that that's where his position will be at the next level. I mean, a lot of times we see those guys that are catchers in the minors, but once they get to that upper echelon part of the minors, like in double, triple A, they switch him to the outfield or first base. Hopefully with Corey Lee, he can just stick at catcher. Yeah, and, you know, so it's actually kind of funny. I think the Astros are doing it just based on, you know, they're not trying to wear him out, not trying to make him catch 120 games a season, but he's actually played a he played at third base the other day. I think that was his first time this season, but mm-hmm. he's also played, I think, a couple games in the outfield and at first base. So he does have some versatility. He's obviously a, a good athlete, good enough to, to yep. play in the outfield. You know, you look at a lot of catchers and you think there's no way that that guy's going to make <clears> the outfield, but Corey Lee's a good enough outfielder or I mean, a good enough uh, athlete to, to be able to play a, around the field like that. But yeah, hopefully he sticks at catcher. Uh, but another guy who is, is off to a pretty good start, Alex McKenna, he was a fourth round pick in, in 2018 and drafted at 20 years old, came into the Astros system and hit 311 with like seven homers and, and 40 games following the draft at his 20 year old. You know, So really excited for his future. He goes into the next season, he ends up getting hurt. I think he got hit in the hand or, or had some kind of wrist injury, something that would affect his power. And unfortunately, the next season, he ends up hitting one homer in like 65 games, you know, so you really saw that that lack of power. Then he misses the 2020 season, obviously, because of COVID. Well, this year, he's, he's got four doubles, uh, three homers, 12 RBIs. So starting to see him drive the ball a little bit. He's 23 years old, but he's a guy that had had some really good tools and was looking like a, a legit prospect, you know, prior to that injury. So it looks like he's kind of getting back on track now. Yeah, and he's another guy that we could see move uh, to another to another part of the system, like up to double A at some point, mm-hmm. especially whenever these guys are already in high A. I think I mentioned this a few weeks back, how uh, I remember Luno talking about whenever, you know, you, you talk about moving prospects up to a level, he usually would look at the low A and high A uh, area to see where we can put someone to really challenge them. And if you look at his track record, that is exactly what he did. So McKenna is a guy that we could see up at double A before, you know, he may end up getting the first promotion, like first big type promotion, um, especially with all of his numbers. And like you said, he was already a pretty high pick. Yeah. So he, he's a guy that, you know, hopefully will continue that, that kind of power surge. Another guy I just want to hit on that's, that's pitching for the Taurus right now is uh, Kyle Serrano, 10th round pick back in 2017 out of Tennessee, had some, some good numbers in college, but really just looked like he was a guy that just kind of, you know, struggled to stay healthy. Well, He's 25. He's pitching in a high A, but so far this year, he's pitched five and two thirds innings. So he's retired 17 batters. 15 of them have been by strikeout. So I don't really know what to make make of him as a 25 year old in high A, but the fact that he's retired 17 batters and 15 of them via strikeout is pretty impressive. And, you know, hopefully he'll get a chance to kind of continue to prove that as he moves up. But I just wanted to kind of give a a shout out to him for what he's doing. And then one other guy I'll mention real quick, Mark Moclair, Astros drafted him a couple of years ago. He started out in, you know, low A this year, got a promotion to high A, had his first outing a couple of days ago. And I think he struck out seven in like four scoreless innings. So he's got 25 strikeouts in 14 innings. It's it's crazy the amount of strikeups or strikeouts that the Astros are racking up right now uh, at the minor league level. So, you know, we can see it. We talked about it. They do a good job of developing pitchers, especially pitchers who are undervalued to other teams. Yeah. And, you know, we could see a situation in about a year or two where we have a ton of pitchers with high upside that have graduated all the way to double and triple A. And we could just pick and choose for who to you know, bring up, bring down. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially if everything goes right, there's just a ton of pitching down there. And you've you're, you're really good at this at finding these guys and highlighting them and making sure that it's more than just one appearance. I mean, everyone can go out there and have a good appearance, but you're finding these guys that are having sustained, um, you know, performances out there, both with the bat and, you know, just, you know, throwing. 
Yep. Uh, so, you know, that's where, that's why it sucks that last year we lost an entire minor league season. That's an entire year of productivity that we just lost. I mean, we, all of these guys could have been a step up. I mean, not just in the Astros system, but all across baseball, but mm-hmm. it just sucks because, you know, right now we could use it, but you never know a year or two from now, we could be in a really good position with a lot of these guys. For sure, man. And, and, you know, there's a, it, it's just, it just goes to show how important the scouting is and, and you know, and how, you can find guys that have have either uh, tools that haven't been unlocked yet, or guys that can succeed uh, maybe despite you know not having the best stuff. So we'll jump down to the Woodpeckers right now. They're also playing some pretty good baseball. They're sitting at eight nine. And the other night, I, I don't know if you had saw my the tweet I put out, but the other night they won a game eleven to ten. And in that game, their pitching staff walked twenty batters. Like I, I, I've never seen anything close to that before. And honestly, I, I don't know what the record wow. is for for walks in a, in a a, a regular. I think it's a nine inning game. 20 bat. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I think they had one guy came in and walked seven in like two thirds of, I mean, just like the amount of walks. And I don't know if it was an umpire issue or it was just really, they couldn't find the strike zone, but I mean, no one they brought in could throw strikes. It was crazy, but hey, they still found a way to win the game. Yeah, man, that's insane. I did not see that tweet of yours, but that's insane. Cause I'm, you, you and I would have absolutely talked about that, but Holy crap. Just to walk 20 batters and still win. Forget about the score, no matter if it's one nothing or whatever, but yep. that's, that's a, uh, <clears throat> that's a heck of an accomplishment right there. So another guy down in uh, Fayetteville that's you know starting to show uh, his tools a little bit. Zach Daniels, fourth round pick last year, had a lot of success right right away in the 2020 season. COVID hit, uh, the Astros ended up drafting him in the fourth round, and he's got four homers, five stolen bases so far. He's still striking out a little bit, a little bit too much right now, but he's kind of showing off some of those tools. Another guy, J.C. Correa, he's got nine walks to 13 strikeouts this year, so showing some nice plate discipline, the ability to draw some walks. Good start for him and. We'll hit on one more guy before we get to our stock up. And Shea Whitcomb, he, they drafted him in the fifth round uh, last year. Uh, had a really good college career, and so far he's off to a hot start in the Astros system. He's sitting 321 in 13 games. So, you know, the Woodpeckers, despite them being the lowest level right now that the Astros are playing, they, they got some guys that are that are fun to watch and some guys that, you know, we can we can kind of put our eye on it and keep, a, 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 you know, keep an eye on them moving forward. And that's actually you're going to see when I hear about when we talk about the, top, uh, the stock up is a couple guys that have been playing for Fayetteville that have uh, really been hitting the ball well. So first one I'll mention, and then we'll, I'll let you take one, but Joe Perez, you know, the, he's a third round – or it was a second-round pick, third baseman a couple of years ago and, and really just struggled to stay healthy. He dealt with a lot of injuries early on, had to have Tommy John surgery like right after the draft. The Astros knew that when they drafted him. But uh, he's finally healthy this year. His last eight games, he's hitting 394. He's got a 171 uh, weighted runs created plus on the season. Real big power, big arm at third base, and – there was a home run he hit the other day. They were down three to two in the ninth, and he ended up tying the game. And I mean, he hit the ball dead center and the the uh, the backdrop in center field. I mean, it hit it probably like halfway up. So I'm, I'm talking probably 15, yeah. 20 feet over the wall is where it hit wow. on the, on that black backdrop. So nice to see him, you know, really, really just being healthy and being able to, uh, you know, to kind of prove the reason he was drafted, you know, in the second round. Yeah, that's that light tower power that he has, man. And we've been hearing about it for a few years now, and now we're finally seeing it. And it's like you said, he's finally healthy. Um, he, he's a guy that I know a lot of Astros fans are going to know about by before the end of the season. I mean, a lot of us already know about him, mm-hmm. but even others who don't really follow the minors as well as, as right. other people do, Joe Perez is going to be a name that's going to be up there at the end of this season. And it, it could be um, up there with all of baseball. You never know, man, because that kind of power is, for that position and everything – those you don't just scoff at and go, oh, you know, no big deal. No, he's he's legit. Yeah, and despite his injury, you know, history, he's still only 21 years old. So it's not like he's, you know, he's missed a little bit of development, but he was drafted so young it didn't really matter. 
So one other guy I'll talk about that's on, a, on definitely on a stock up list is Matthew Barefoot. He was drafted by the Astros mm-hmm. in the sixth round a couple of years ago. You know, he's play, he was playing in Fayetteville. He's 23 years old, but he, some may say he's a little bit old for the league he was playing in, but he did exactly what you would expect a 23-year-old to do there. He hit had a 171 weighted runs created plus, four homers, 10 stolen bases, good, you know, good speed, solid defense in the outfield, and really a, a really hot start. He's the first big promotion we kind of saw. He got promoted mm-hmm. to, to high A, so he's with Asheville, is actually playing today. So another another good start for for him, you know, and showing off the tools that led him to be a six-round pick by the Astros. Yeah, and, you know, one thing that we talked – or a couple things that we talked about earlier, you know, corner outfielders, they're everywhere. You know, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're a center fielder, odds are you're going to have a, an, uh, an easier path to the pros just because it's center field. Corner outfielders, not as much unless you can really, really do one or two things, like, amazing. And one thing that we've already done uh, just in this segment alone, Jimmy, is we've talked about several of our prospects that are corner outfielders that are, you know, making some noise, mm-hmm. but there's going to be one or two that probably separate themselves from the bunch before the yeah. end of the season, you know, and Matthew Barefoot's already done. I mean, already had 10 stolen bases, man, four bombs, always almost hitting 350. Um, I mean, it got noticed and he immediately was promoted. He's going to have to be challenged and clearly they didn't think he was being challenged at low A. So yeah. he could be one of those guys that we say before the end of the year that we could be looking at in Houston in a couple of years. One other guy I'll hit on only because at this point, I really don't know a lot about him, but his name's Jamie Melendez. He's down in Fayetteville. He's a 19-year-old. He's listed at 5'8", 190, but he's 19-year-old pitching in full-season baseball. And in 10 innings, he struck out 19. He's got the highest swing strike percentage in the Astros system with a minimum of 10 innings pitch. So really good start to the season for him, a nice young pitcher. I'm still working on getting some more information, kind of learning more about what kind of stuff he has. But this is this is what we see, you know, year in, year out with the Astros system is somebody comes in out of nowhere and ends up having success. And we, we've seen it every year. And he, he's another guy to watch that we'll continue to watch moving forward, especially given the fact that he's only 19 years old. Oh, absolutely, man. And again, these kinds of performances from guys like you said to start off with, you're like, you know, I don't really know a whole lot about him. Well, this is how we find out about him. Whenever they get out there and they start playing well, you get noticed, you know, um, 19 years old, man. That's a big plus for us, especially if he continues to uh, evolve the way he has, man. Um, you can never, ever have uh, uh, enough good young players, you know, um, yep. for, for every five to 10 that are drafted, maybe one or two of those will actually make it. You know what I mean? All right. Well, coming right up, we'll look at how the Astros have played this week and then really dive into the bullpen struggles. And we'll get to that in just a moment. And continuing on here at the Astros Future Podcast presented by Apollo Media. If you enjoy the show, do us a favor and drop us a review or leave us some stars. So for the next two segments, we are going to be joined by one of the most passionate Houston sports fans that I know, and that is the one and only Ben DuBose. How's it going, Ben? Pretty good, guys. How are y'all? Doing good, man. Doing good. Another day. Recording here, the Astros are currently playing right now. Uh, We're going to talk about kind of how they played this last week, but they went into Oakland, won two or three, but there was kind of the the one game they lost was an issue that we're going to be hitting on quite a bit over this next two Mm -hmm. segments bullpen you know the first game they came out got a lead and then the bullpen ended up giving up a run in the sixth seventh eighth and ninth inning so tough tough way to open up the series they did get it going back a a little bit game two Grinky had a really nice start allowing one run over over eight innings and the offense really opened it up late and then they won game three two Garcia had another good outing the bullpen did give up a couple runs but the offense was enough to you know to withstand that so Ben just Mm -hmm. just kind of tell me what's your take on on how the Astros are playing right now and then just in in you know, and how things are going for, for the Strohs and how the uh, the series have gone this past couple of weeks. Yeah, I forgot who it was that made the point. It was someone at uh, either Baseball America or Baseball Prospectus, but to start the year, their sort of preview of the Astros at a high level was 
if they get to October, they're going to be a really dangerous team because of how top heavy they are. But the question is whether that they can actually get there given 162 games and the bullpen issues when you aren't able to use your starters in relief, like we've seen this team do really going back to 2017. And perhaps we'll get some relief on that front fairly soon because with Framber and uh, Odorizzi at the AAA level, then perhaps you have options with guys like Luis Garcia. Maybe Christian Javier, we'll have to wait and see because he's pitching a shutout as we're recording this right now. But the, the point is you could have options that way by bringing in more starters. You can move some guys to the bullpen. But yeah, to me, this past week just sort of reflects sort of the larger theme, which is that we know that these guys are capable of beating anyone. They have the high end upside. We saw their offense against the A's look absolutely brilliant. But sort of the other side of the equation is that they can also lose to anyone uh, over 162 if it gets tight in the late innings because they only have one reliever in Ryan Presley that they actually trust. So to me, that's just sort of the delicate balance. We see the upside and hopefully with time, you know, again, you'll get some starters back so you can move some other arms to the bullpen. Hopefully at some point we see Pedro Baez. I think he was part of the formula for James Click, and unfortunately he just hasn't been healthy. But I think the bottom line is that in the grand scheme, I've been, I'm encouraged because they show you the high-end upside that tells you why they've had so much success in the playoffs for years and years. But I'm just a little bit nervous about, you know, making it through 162 because right now, other than Ryan Presley, it's tough to see where in the bullpen you should have a lot of confidence. Right. And, you know, one thing that um... – you know, I was on Twitter earlier today and I saw a tweet where uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, he's a good follow. But it'll come to me at some point where he had said that the last time that we had uh, an amazing offense and a mediocre bullpen was 2017. And then he put mm-hmm. everything's going to be OK. And I was like, well, I mean, that's a little misleading. I mean, I, I understand where he's coming from. But in 2017, while we had bullpen struggles early in the season, we still had several guys there that we would feel comfortable with throwing in, a, um, you know, late innings in a game or in a run run game. Right now, we have one guy that all of us are confident and would feel, you know, secure in throwing out there if we have a, a, a you know, a small lead to, to maintain, and that's Ryan Presley. There's no one else in this bullpen that any of us feel comfortable with in a, in a, in a close game. And like Jimmy said earlier, I mean, just the other day, they gave up a run in the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. That is so rare for a bullpen to do something like that. Like, it's just you know, like even whenever Framber and Odorizzi come back to the rotation, we are going to bump a couple of guys to the bullpen, but that's assuming that they're going, their stuff is going to play up in the bullpen. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah, and you, yeah. Know, you mentioned, you mentioned, uh, you know, like Presley being the only guy that we can trust at this point. And it, it felt like, I mean, maybe seven days ago, you know, we felt like Stanek was a guy we can trust. And I know relievers are going to go through struggles at times and, you know, one bad outing, especially this early in the season is, is going to make your overall numbers look bad, but you know, the, the struggle, you know, our issue with him coming into the season was he, he walked a lot of guys and we kind of saw him lose control uh, a little bit in his recent outing. So it's Presley and then whoever the hell, you know, else you think you can rely on. I, I, I kind of thought a Brayu might be one of those guys. And then we saw him blow a game, you know, in, in extra innings against the Rangers just a couple days ago. Yeah. And Stanek I, has completely fallen off a cliff. Yeah. And I feel like for Dusty Baker, it's a really, tough job. And I think the only thing he can really do besides try new options. And I do think that in particular Garcia intrigues me in in terms of his stuff translating to the bullpen, because Mm -hmm. um, he has the high velocity and that cutter is really, really useful. I think against righties. So you have at least some promise there. And as far as the guys that are there now taking the starters that you can potentially convert out of play, then 
I think the only thing that Dusty can really do is sort of make sure that all of these guys are getting innings here or there and then just try and ride the hot hand. Because I think what's clear at this point, you can't just point to any of those guys. You know, Stanek in the first few weeks of the year looked dependable. Then he's just suddenly lost his control. We saw Anoli looked really good in the playoffs last year. And to this point, he's just been incredibly wild in the limited MLB time he's had this year, Abreu's had his moments, but he's also had control issues himself. I feel like all you can do is just sort of try to ride the hot hand. What's crazy is much grief as he's gotten. I would say over the past week or so, Brooks Raley has probably been your second yeah. most reliable reliever after mm-hmm. uh, after Ryan Presley. And so I think all that Dusty can really do, there's two things. But the main one, like I said, just make sure all of these guys are getting options and just sort of stay flexible. You need to just sort of, again, just see what they have and ride the hot hand as much as you possibly can. And then the other thing, too, is just to try to mix and match. You know, Friday night, the game that slipped away in Arlington, there was this big debate on Twitter of how aggressive should they have been with Ryan Presley. And I get that it's May. And even though they're in a tight race right now with Oakland, you know, you don't want to just casually throw Ryan Presley in for two inning saves. I understand that there's a cumulative sort of arm tax that happens with that. However, what you could do to be a little bit smarter when you have these guys that are struggling, use and abray you against the bottom of the order, the seven, eight, nine types and save Presley for your higher leverage. Whenever mm-hmm. those two, three, fours are coming up to me, that's just one of those little things. That I think Dusty could do a little bit better to try and just, you know, get those other guys going by facing weaker hitters. And then other than that, I feel like really other than Joe Smith, and, you know, I know he's a veteran, but I just don't trust the stuff of Joe Smith anymore. Other than Joe Smith, I feel like the rest of the non-Presley bullpen, they're all going to have their moments. They're all going to have their cold stretches. All you can really do is just sort of continue to keep an open mind, give them all opportunities, and then, you know, try to ride the hot hand for as long as that lasts. And then hopefully over time with those starters converting and Pedro Baez, if he ever shows up, uh, you know, yeah. hopefully, hopefully you get some relief that way. Yeah, you know, and you, you brought up a good point about about Baker, and, and he's going to catch heat no matter what. I think that's just the way it goes, you know, right now with hindsight and everything. You bring in a reliever. He brought in Presley and, and threw Presley two innings, and in that second inning, Presley gives up a bomb to Garcia and a walk-off. People are going to say, you know, why did you throw him two innings? You had Abreu out there. Or you had Paredes or whoever. And that's the way it's going to go. But you're right. At this point, he's just got to he's got to just kind of rely on the hot hand. And like you mentioned, it, Brooks Raley has looked really, really good the last week. And, you know, in a close game right now, he kind of feels like outside of Presley, maybe that's the guy you can you can count on. I know Stanek had a, a pretty solid outing. I think it was yesterday. So but I, I'm with you, Ben. I think Garcia is a guy who when he gets bumped to the bullpen, which it's unfortunate to, to see a guy like yeah. he's, he's having success as a starter. You hate to bump into the bullpen, but I guess to, to put Valdez in the rotation would be nice. But I think he's a guy that his stuff will yeah. play up in the bullpen and you can probably rely on in that, you know, that seventh or eighth inning. And by the way, to that point about Garcia, I know a week or so ago, uh, Jake Kaplan had a nice article in The Athletic about sort of the long-term debate with Garcia for this season. Once people get healthy, do you put him in the bullpen or do you put him at AAA to keep him stretched out? At this point, to me, the bullpen is becoming enough of a concern. I think you need Garcia in the bullpen to get major league outs just to sort of buy you time until these guys come back and hope that the Tyler Ivies of the world or any other, you know, fill-in starters at AAA can buy you a start here or there when something happens like the you know the minor Urquidy shoulder issue which it seems like he's only going to miss one more start but the point is I think the bullpen is of a priority I would err on the side of putting Garcia there hope you can find lightning in a bottle with um 
his stuff, which again, the high velocity should play well. And then just hope that if you have a short term, you know, start or two here or there, then hope that the Tyler Ivy types can help you out. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, you've got Framber or Kitty and uh, Jake Odorizzi, who, uh, what do you guys think? Like in the next two weeks, they're all going to be in the rotation. So that's three mm-hmm. spots right there. So we've already talked about Luis Garcia being bumped to the bullpen. What are you guys thinking for the other two? I mean, Javier always does really well for about, you know, maybe four to five innings, but that sixth inning kind of starts, you know, wearing a little bit. You, you guys think, uh, you know, Javier is going to be going to the bullpen. What do you think about the other two spots? Yeah, you know, over his career, that's true. But actually, it's sort of been odd the last couple of weeks. I've been thinking about this. He's had a few starts, the Toronto game, and I believe it was one of the Texas starts, too. I could be wrong. But where now today, as we're recording, he's been very good. But he had a couple of starts of late where he actually got in trouble in the first or second inning and then sort of straightened it out and bought a lot of innings to get like six or seven. But generally speaking, the broader you know, 30,000 foot view. Yes. He's much more effective the first and second time through the order than the third. So my guess would be that, but you know, it's so tough to say, I suppose he has the velocity and again, you know, Dusty's, well, it's tougher to be a big splits guy in the bullpen anyway, given the three batter rule, but the the fact that he's fairly tough on lefties. um, My guess is that that's what they would have to do. But I don't know. I mean, really, yeah. I think at this point, Arquidi's solidified himself. And Grinky, just based mm-hmm. on his status, is 100% going to be a starter. Uh, Arquidi's the only other one you can consider bumping. But prior to the shoulder, honestly, Arquidi looked pretty yeah. stud-like the three or four starts before that. So I'm sort of, even though he's having a good start as we're literally recording this, boy, you know, if I had to pick, I'm, you know, I would lean Javier just because I really liked what we saw out of Arquidi um, prior to the shoulder issue. Yeah, I, mean, I completely no, I agree with your point on on not stretching him out down at AAA, but like just keep him in the bullpen because with the bullpen structure right. that, that we have right now, it's just imperative that we get that somewhat fixed as, as quickly as possible. So yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm with you. I think out of those options, Javier probably is the one that's going to be up, especially you know given how many starts Urquidy has made at the major league level, and then obviously McCullers and Greeky are staying where they're at. So and his stuff will probably end up playing up similar to Garcia, and it'll be nice to hopefully have some arms that you can trust there and, and, you know, find a way to maybe keep them, keep them extended a little bit, even if they're, they're pitching, you know, two, uh, two or three innings, depending on how long the starters are going. But at least there's a light at the end of the tunnel when you look at the bullpen struggles and know that we are getting some, some starters back and it's going to push, you know, a guy like Javier and Garcia into the bullpen and hopefully give us some guys that we can rely on and not feel like we're, we're having to turn to, you know, to a Joe Smith or a uh, Andre Scrub or Paredes, you know, basically it, it's feeling like, Pretty much every day we're having to turn to run, you know, one of those in a close game and hope that they can hope that they can have a, a solid inning. And unfortunately, that just hasn't been happening. Yeah, and I think that that's also James Click's, um, you know, view on it as well. He had a, I think it was Chandler Rome that had a tweet out earlier today that said that Click mentioned pregame today that you know the bullpen situation is something that they're monitoring and that they will fix, but it'll be fixed with the players that we currently have. So translation, we're not going to go out and spend a bunch of prospects on getting another player in here. Yeah. And I think we should point out too, you know, I've seen some pushback on Twitter with folks pointing out that the offense has missed a couple opportunities, certainly in the uh, Arlington games to blow it open when they could have conceivably had, you know, one of these games where they score seven, eight runs. And at that point, it almost doesn't matter who your bullpen is, you're going to win. And they have the talent to do it and they haven't. But honestly, you know, if you're getting four or five runs a game, that should be enough to at least give you a chance. And, you know, quite frankly, they were scoring four or five runs in Arlington, despite getting almost nothing from Jordan Alvarez, who got the day off on Sunday. Spoiler alert, Jordan's going to be fine. He's just in, you know, one of those – 
inevitable 0 for 10 funks that happens over 162 games. He's going to get it straightened out. Um, I just feel like, you know, certainly the offense could do more, but in like the grand scheme, you know, the hundred, the 30,000 foot view, I should say the bullpen, the fact that you score four or five runs and even against a club like Arlington, it's doesn't feel like it's enough. Yes. The offense could do more, but the bullpen is a much bigger problem in the grand scheme than only scoring four runs. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, man. It's uh, I think at this point, if anyone is really complaining about the, the uh, offense not doing more, then you're just looking for something to complain about. Because, I mean, you go out there and score the amount of runs that we've been scoring, that should give you enough to, right. to win the game. But the bullpen has just been so bad. Um, I mean, just, just the other day alone, like we've already talked about. So, so yeah, no, I completely agree with you. The offense is not an issue right now. I know that Jordan's struggling. Everyone's going to struggle over a 162-game right. season. So um, not, a, not an issue whatsoever. Yeah, I was trying to find the stats. I don't remember who put it out, but they, they put the numbers of the bullpen over the last like couple of weeks. And it, it yeah, it was pretty, pretty depressing reading it actually. So yeah, I'm with you. The, the bullpen is is the obvious weak point of the team right now. And like we mentioned, we got some starters coming back and some guys that we I mean expect. I I mean personally, I expect a lot out of Valdez after what he did last year. And I had high hopes for for Odorizzi after I pitched a couple of years ago and then mm-hmm. getting in with Brent Strom, hoping that he could kind of you know, refine himself and uh, and have that success. And I I really thought he was gonna you know solidify that like that kind of number five spot. But definitely the the bullpen is a struggle. And yeah. Like like you mentioned, Brian, like Click said, you know, we I think the Astros have the talent either here on the team when we get healthy, or maybe even in AAA bringing up other guys who who can have success in the bullpen. By the way, another point on Odorizzi, and I'm right there with you. The sample is small, but he has been underwhelming to this point. Hopefully, when he gets back and he's healthy, then he can start to flash what we saw in Minnesota, especially in 2019, I believe he was an all-star. The one good thing about Javier and Garcia, I don't think they would ever go to a full-blown tandem system in the majors like we've seen them do at times in the minors. But with that said, you could have sort of a quasi-tandem thing where even if Odorizzi isn't quite the guy you thought and hoped he would be, at least not right at first, because they're still trying to get him somewhat stretched out and perhaps the same applies with Framber, then you do have guys in Garcia and potentially Javier, if you move into the bullpen like we've been talking about, that can almost operate as a tandem where, hey, you don't have to necessarily get your struggling starters to give you five, six innings. You could honestly have them give you four and then you bring in uh, Garcia to give you two or three from there. And at that point, you know, you have a greater margin for error with your guys like Odorizzi. So that's another thing besides firming up the bullpen, then you have a little bit more margin of error with your starters when you have guys like Garcia in the bullpen. Yeah. And I feel like we've seen recently that those kind of pitchers are are becoming more and more valuable. The relievers that can give you two or three Mm -hmm. really good standout innings because, you know, we're, we're seeing guys that maybe don't go in as deep as uh, into games as deep as they used to. And, you know, we've seen it with the Rays. Obviously, they do the the opener and things like that. But I think having guys in the bullpen that you can count on to give you multiple innings is uh, is definitely a positive to have and something that can, you know, help when we do see the struggles of Odorizzi or whoever else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at this point, it's just one of those things where we just need all hands on deck and anyone that can mm-hmm. play uh, well and throw the ball for a strike. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, and that's what's so frustrating about it right now, but it also gives me some hope that maybe over time you can straighten it out. Honestly, it's not like these guys are getting shelled. The bigger issue 
with guys like Abreu, and I think he's so young, sometimes he doesn't trust his stuff, which kind of surprises you because he can hit 98, and yet it feels like he's worried about it getting hammered. I mean, so many of the problems for Abreu, Stanek up until Saturday, have been just getting behind in counts, getting down 3 nothing, and then at that point, you know, I don't care how hard you can throw, if they know you're basically going to be throwing a fastball just to get it over, then major league hitters are going to be able to hit it. And so I feel like some of these issues, and certainly Anoli, whose whip is like crazy right now, uh, like yesterday was like 450, which of course, tiny sample size. But right. the point is, all these guys are getting into trouble because they're getting behind accounts. They're walking guys. So in theory, that's something that over time should be fixable. So that's another thing that I'll point out is sort of like the glass half full view is that the problems that the bullpen are having, to me, it's a little better the way they're struggling with control because that's a little bit easier to iron out over time than right. if say they're just going out and getting home runs, giving up home runs all the time. Right. Yeah. Yep, for sure. I no, I, yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. That, that, that's a really good point. The, the walks have been an issue. And like you mentioned, the, the getting behind hitters and we've seen, we saw that happen with Abreu, I think on uh, just or Friday night where he gave it that home run to Garcia. I'm pretty sure it's a one Oh count. And yep. he uh, just grew to fastball right over there. And Garcia did exactly what yep. feels like he's been doing all season to us. It's just destroying balls and getting, hitting home runs. All right. In our next segment, we're going to look at the possibility of using robot umps and talk about how bad the umpires have been this season. And we'll get to that after this break. And welcome back in here at the Astros Future Podcast presented by Apollo Media. This segment, we're going to debate if the MLB should look at using robot umpires. And then we'll go ahead and answer some questions from Twitter. So we kind of hinted at it as we were leaving the last segment, but the umpires have been an issue, and I think we've seen it over and over. And I think it was, I think it was the Friday game, the uh, the umpire audit thing that comes out on Twitter showed yeah. that like some of the really bad calls, like that the three worst calls, which they always highlight, three worst calls were were all against the Astros, and they were all in big spots. One was against Gallo, I think, where they walked him. Another was the 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 first pitch against Jordan with the bases loaded, and you know the, people highlighted the stats between a one zero count versus an zero one count, and. It just feels like, you know, every day you watch a game, there's there's bad calls left and right. And it makes you wonder, you know, with the it's 2021 with the technology that we have, we see the strike zone when we watch the game. Why are we not potentially going into some kind of, you know, some kind of option where, you know, the umpire is relayed if this is a ball or a strike, especially if we know that they can do it in real time. Yeah. And by the way, that game on Friday, the expected run differential from the calls was plus 2.29 for the Rangers. Just crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, this is a simple one that I wish the umpires and specifically their union, who I always tag on Twitter because, God, they're so sensitive and they're so defensive. But the reason it's so frustrating is that you would still have a home plate umpire because you would still need, you know, plays at the plate. You would need appeals. It wouldn't even cost any jobs, guys. And that's what's so frustrating is that so many of these, you know, the union is afraid that if they give an inch, that it's going to be, you know, just sort of them giving a mile when it, when it comes to the slippery slope of, okay, you give in on this and then it sets the precedent for something else. And with this, it's really not a huge concession and the arguments against it, the technology is not perfect. No, it's not, but neither are the current calls as we were just explaining. I mean, it's just downright comical to point to the fact and you know, I've had some sort of umpiring backers point to the fact that, oh, you know, the technology is off by an average of, you know, like a few hundredths of an inch or whatever it is okay, well, look at some of these calls. There was one against, I forget who it was. It was, oh, Altuve early in Sunday's game where, I mean, it was inside the batter's box and they called it a strike. 
and it was the first pitch of the at bat. So it completely changed the complexion. There's a runner on with two outs, and if that's ball one and you're ahead 1-0, that completely changes what you get the remainder of the bat relative to going down 0-1. And so what's so frustrating to me, we have the technology. Is it perfect? No. But at the same time, at least there's a level of, of consistency. And if if it's so close, this is the thing. The technology takes away the really bad misses. Mm-hmm. That's where it's really frustrating. You know, with the human element, okay, there's going to be a few calls here or there that either go your way or they don't. But if we're talking just a hair, a centimeter off or on the outside corner, I think most fans, most reasonable fans will understand that, hey, sometimes you get the breaks and sometimes you don't. And that's the same, be it human technology, whatever it is. The real problem is just the catastrophic misses, like the one to Altuve on Sunday. I think it was Bregman on Friday or Saturday had one that was similarly awful to starting at bat. Those are the ones, the ones that aren't close at all, that can completely change the complexion of an at bat. Technology would take away the really bad misses. And to me, that's important. And I think it would just also be a a sign of good faith because the big issue with this, again, the umpires push back on everything because they're afraid of the slippery slope, them losing influence, them eventually losing jobs this is just a simple thing that would help them out too and quite frankly you know rob manford always wants to speed up the game right think about how much it would speed up the game to take away these arguments between players and managers and umpires going back and forth the constant bickering at this point it it would be technology and if you don't like it then you know what you got just a bad break and it could easily happen. There's no bias. That's the other thing too. It takes away, you know, the Ron Culpa, the, Oh, I can do whatever I want. That dynamic that that we often see happen where you worry about an umpire for one reason or another, maybe he's getting shooed out by the dugout. Maybe it's the fans, but sort of having sort of like a subconscious bias issue that's taken out of play. It would just make the game a lot cleaner. And I wish the umpires would give in. Is it perfect? No, of course not. But at least, you know, at least number one, you'd have consistency. And then secondly, you take away the really, really bad misses. Yeah. And I agree with you, Ben. I think, um, I mean, nothing in the world is perfect. So, but I mean, you get as close to it as you possibly can. You just make do with what you, with what you have. And that's just, I mean, you, you've got, um, you mentioned Ron Culpa. Think about Angel Hernandez. I mean, this is a guy who you can go on YouTube and just type in his name and there's videos yeah. that fans have made going all the way yeah. back to the nineties with clips of how horrible he is. Dude, I didn't even know this, but at one point he kicked out Steve McMichael from a uh, Chicago Cubs game. That was the uh, Hall of Fame linebacker for the Chicago Bears. He became a wrestler in the nineties. He was singing, take me out to the ball game. And he criticized Angel Hernandez behind the home plate. Uh, for like while he was singing take me out to the ball game he threw him out of the game because of that that guy is one of the most sensitive human beings on this planet and whenever you've got someone like that as a major league umpire who every single team hates yeah i mean at what point are robot umps not the better option you know yeah and that goes back to what we were saying earlier about you know just making the game cleaner it makes it to where it moves faster you also probably have fewer rejections because there's less subjectivity to it and to me that's just a better product you're not having good players thrown out you're not having games get stopped because the manager feels like he has to go up out there and have an argument it just makes for an overall much more consistent viewer experience. And to me, that's something that, uh, well, my guess is that Rob Manfred actually does want it. It's just a matter of when is the right time and how do you get the negotiations with the uh, umpiring union to make that happen? 
Yeah, and, and we've seen them implement changes at the minor league level, and and so I'd be interested to see is that something that they would try to do down in the minors? You know, throw a robot or throw a robot ump up down there is what they would call it, but you know, relaying the balls and the strikes to the home plate umpire, letting them make the calls that way. So, mm-hmm. and while we're on the topic of of changes, I wanted to just ask your opinion real quick, Ben. What's your opinion on the runner at second in the extra inning? <laughs> um, not a fan. I mean, it just doesn't yeah. it. it I know it makes the game quicker, but it's just, it's so ugly. And I guess, you know, the counter to it is the fact that, okay, it wouldn't be as ugly as it is if guys were fundamentally better at, you know, hitting the ball to the opposite side, bunning and, um, you know, and moving the guy forward to base and then having, you know, the sack fly or the ground ball to the right side, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. But to me, it's just frustrating because number one, it's not natural. And then secondly, you know, the strategies we see are completely different. And I know you'll say that, well, you know, some would say that, okay, that makes situational hitting more of a priority. I mean, you can argue that, but then it makes, again, for sort of just an inconsistent watch because it's different than the rest of the game and what sort of your goals are when you're trying to put an inning together. And I, I don't know, to me, I understand the, the time element. But I just think that there are better ways. And again, you know, robot umpires is one way that we were just talking about. You can save time. I think there are ways that you can save time in other ways without having to go to this just gimmicky, uh, you know, sort of coin flip system when you get to extras. Yeah, Ben, I agree with you. And I actually, I think that that is probably the best explanation I've heard of it. So props to you for that. But it is ugly. And also, it's not, it's not natural. It's just, it's just not. And I mean, like, God, I don't want to make this sound like I'm whining because I'm really not. But I mean, did you really win a game the right way if you had to put a guy on second base just to get a run home? Well, does that make sense? Like, it's yeah. Just, and the other thing that I would point out, guys, what sport other than MLB handles its overtime rules differently in the regular season than the postseason and the NFL doesn't count I know because you can have a tie and in the postseason you would keep on playing but that doesn't count your strategy no one goes into overtime in the NFL playing for a tie come on whereas in Major League Baseball yes it's completely different when you start with a runner on second to where then you go to the postseason and you go back to the normal rule that we've had for you know hundreds of years to me, that is sort of the tiebreaker for all of this is that why do you want a different system in the regular season than the postseason? You know, if you're going to sort of train people to hit differently and to have this different sort of approach, then why wouldn't we want that to be consistent? Why would you want something one way for 162 games and then all of a sudden to flip it back when we're going to say that the games are most meaningful. It, it just doesn't seem consistent. And that's where it sort of comes off, especially gimmicky. Like if you believe in it, okay, then do it in the postseason too. But to do it just for the regular season and then flip it, yeah, that just sort of, it just sort of contributes to the overall feeling of not authentic and sort of gimmicky. Yeah, and, and so as a, as a fan of, of minor league baseball, I understand maybe why you, where, they're, where the idea generated is, you know, does a minor league game really need to be going like 18 innings? Do you know you're putting all these extra innings on these sure. arms and the wins don't, I don't want to say they don't matter because they do play for a championship, but they don't matter like they do at the major league level. So I get right. it, but that would be like, you know, going into an NBA over time and you're like, all right, well now we're going to bump up the, you know, we're going to have a four point line, which is going to be, if you hit right. any, anything over 30 feet, it's a four pointer, you know, and it's, yeah, it just changes yeah. up the game completely. It's not, like you said, it's not natural. 
Right, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Ben, how you just said it's gimmicky. And, you know, I'm a wrestling guy, so gimmicky makes me think of wrestling. And the first thing that came to my mind, and I never really thought about this, but the runner on second rule is something Vince McMahon would do if he had like an XFL version of baseball. He would do something like that. It's just, I don't understand why Manfred is so, like, has such a hard on to, to, to speed the game up so much. He just must be getting pressure from the owners or some, I don't know who it is, but but the runner on second rule is probably my least favorite thing in all of sports. I think it's ridiculous. It's not natural. It's gimmicky. Like you said, it's just goofy. That's what you do in little league. That should be a little league thing, not a major league baseball thing. Yeah. And by the way, there's other things you could do. If you're, you know, for example, you know, we mentioned the robot umpires, but also, you know, you could start games a little bit earlier too. Like part of the, the thing they're worried about, of course, with, um, with game time is that, you know, a sport that has, five games a week on weeknights for the most part. And, you know, you want attendance yet people have to work. Okay. Then you could start games potentially like we're seeing some teams shift to like six forty local time starts instead of seven ten, And that buys you a little bit of extra time. You know, there's other things that you can do rather than sort of change at the underlying sort of structure of it. And I understand that sometimes things do change over time. I understand that, but I guess the, the, the issue, the reason that I'm skeptical of it in this case is just, again, if you change it, you know, then at least, believe in it and it's pretty clear they don't believe in it being authentic based on the fact that they want to go back to the normal way for the postseason right yep i agree so one thing that me and brian kind of talked about a little bit off air and it's completely different to what we've just been talking about but yuli guriel is having like an incredibly you know efficient season right now at 36 years old almost 37 and i mean right now he's definitely the team mvp but what's your take on him and you know he struggled last year that he got a little extension and People kind of question it now. I mean, he's, he's looking like the team MVP of, of the season so far. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy because this is, you know, an age in which think about how long it's been, for example, since Albert Pujols is, has actually been good. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's the top of the line. And I obviously now he's in his 40s and we're talking about him going to the Dodgers to be a pinch hitter. But I mean, think how long it's been since he's even been above average. So to see a guy go into his not just mid, but now approaching his late 30s and still retain the bat speed. Well, not only is he retain the bat speed, but somehow he's getting more disciplined with age. I mean, he's a guy who if he came over in his 20s might have a shot at you know, making a borderline Hall of Fame case. I mean, he's not going to yes. have the numbers, uh, you know, as late as he came over to do it, the cumulative stats. But yeah, if he came over in his 20s, he might could make his way into being a borderline Hall of Famer because the skills to do at his age, what he's doing, I mean, it's just crazy. And to me, it does feel sustainable because it'd be one thing if he was just getting hot and then you're going to get into, you know, a rough stretch. But the fact that he's so much more disciplined and he's laying off pitches, number one, he should clearly be an all-star this year. And, you know, uh, by the way, it's going to be so funny when they do the All-Star game now in Denver. And, of course, any Astros that go will get booed. And, by the way, that's the spot where, of course, they had the Theragun that yep. came out on uh, from Eric Kratz on Friday. So, yeah, the fans of the team that, you know, was doing the same damn thing except using the Theragun instead of a trash can are going to act high and mighty because that's how they do it. But, uh, no, I mean, he should be an All-Star this year. And, to me, he's someone that, you know, based on the profile, I'm not going to say you can count on it forever, but – Honestly, I, I mean, it seems it, it, it his profile, at least for the foreseeable future this year and hopefully next year, too. I mean, that deal is just looking like a gem for James Click, because we know yeah. 
we know their payroll constraints. Jim Crane doesn't really want to go into tax territory. So to get that kind of production at first base in the meat of your order for cheap when you have so many other guys do for big money deals. Yeah, that's a really clutch deal by uh, James Click. And it's the kind of thing that can help you squeeze out an extra year or two of sort of your uh, contending window. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good point. You know, you, you mentioned we, me and Brian have talked week in, week out about how, you know, having consistent prospects coming up through the system and, and getting, you know, the Kyle Tuckers, uh, the Javier's, the Garcia's that we're seeing that are coming up and, and giving the Astros boost from from the system. But mm-hmm. yeah, being able to get this kind of production out of a 36 year old Guriel, especially on a, on a good deal, that's a way, like you said, to to extend that window. So one other topic we want to kind of just pick your brain on, and it's it's been a hot debate so far really for the whole season, even, even back to spring training, but you know, Miles straw has been, mm-hmm. he's been the center fielder since, since day one. Um, they even messed around batting him lead off a little bit when Altuve was out with COVID, but he's been struggling. You know, he's, he's had some bad reads in the outfield on with at, at the plate. He's, you know, he's not driving the ball. I mean, he's drawing some walks. He's, I think he's sitting like two twenty, two thirty, something like that. And then you got a guy who we talked about last segment in Chaz McCormick, uh, who's, you know, showing some power. He's when he's getting opportunities, he, he's playing pretty well. What's your what's your take on that? I mean, do you think do you think that the Astros should look at maybe giving McCormick more reps in center field and, and seeing if you know if it's his job to lose? Yeah, especially because in my opinion, because of the tax issues, you're only going to be able to make sort of one external addition at most at the trade deadline of any significance. And there's no guarantee you can even fit in one, given how close they are to the tax line after spending on uh, Odorizzi during spring training. But at most, you can make one. So I kind of go back and forth. Which is your bigger priority? Is it um, is it starting pitching? Or, or no, not starting pitching. Is, is it the bullpen? Or can you fix that with your starting pitching? Or is it center field. And to me, you want to get a better read of McCormick. I think you have a good idea of what you have in Miles Straw now. And you want to see, okay, is McCormick a guy who conceivably could be a starter in the postseason? Or if he's not, then maybe that makes the case for center field rather than the bullpen to be the area that you know, you sort of target going up to July 31st. So to me, you want to use this time in part to evaluate your in-house options and that's what you should do with McCormick. But to me, I'm excited about him. I don't think you just sort of flip the script and just bench Miles Straw because mm-hmm. that'd be terrible for his confidence, number one. And number two, he actually, you know, in fairness to Miles, I looked it up. He's actually hitting going into Sunday like 300 over his last 10 games. So he has been better of late. Let's give him credit for that. And uh, of course, you know, you don't want to just shatter his confidence by saying that this is unacceptable. And in past years, I know his defense has been discouraging this year. He's actually been a decent defensive player in the past. So I think some of these issues might come with, you know, there could be a little bit of nerves being a center fielder for the first time. And of course, he's playing next to, you know, a veteran like Michael Brantley, and he's got to sort of find his voice. Some of the issues are communication, and that should be sort of uh, something that can be fixed with time. So you don't want to crush his confidence. With that said, the reason that I would like to see them go maybe to sort of like a 50-50, just give McCormick more starts and then see if that production continues. To me, there's just there's a greater pathway to to see Chaz McCormick have success as an MLB starter because he has decent pop. I went I went and looked in the minors in 2019, which was obviously the last full season of the minors, his OPS was like 820. I mean, it was pretty good. And of course, to this point, you know, he's shown an ability to hit for extra bases and his defense has been very steady as well. Not great, but good, serviceable. Right. And there's just, you know, if you're a steady defender, if you can hit for some pop and you can get into say even just a low to mid 700s OPS you can be serviceable as a starter whereas with straw 
he doesn't have really any pop at all. And his defense, at least to this point, has been a liability. To be a good starter with that profile being so limited in terms of both power and, at least to this point, defense, you have to hit close to 300, have an on-base percentage somewhere in like the 350 range. And that's just a lot to ask for at the major league level. And I don't see much in Miles Straw's background in terms of his minor league stats that suggest that he's going to be, you know, a 300-type hitter uh, in the majors. So to me, you just – McCormick just has – a greater toolbox that you might can succeed with. And so that's why I'd like to experiment with him. He just has more ways that he can beat you. And, you know, he's sort of a weird prospect in that he's now 26. He's just sort of, you know, methodically gone through the system over the years. And then of course, didn't really have a 2020 because of COVID and the lack of minors. But I think Rocket, uh, Rockets fans, so used to talking about the Rockets, I think Astros fans are a little bit spoiled by how many top shelf can't miss prospects that we've had over yes. the years. Obviously, you know, Springer and Correa, but even the last three years, Jordan Alvarez and to a lesser extent, Kyle Tucker, these were definitely like can't miss guys. Whereas, you know, McCormick is not in that territory, but there's also a difference between sort of mid-tier prospects and lower tier. And at least as an MLB starter, I think Straw is a lower tier. For the reasons I was saying earlier, his upside is limited. Whereas McCormick, to me, there's a little more there in terms of what you can potentially, uh, you know, the tools to work with. So I would be interested in sort of letting him play out to me. Now he's not as on base percentage heavy, but he reminds me a little bit. If you go back maybe what, seven, eight years, he reminds me a little bit of Robbie Grossman. And what I mean by that is he's a guy in the minors who he's not going to wow you with his power stroke, but it's there. He's not going to wow you with a high batting average, but it's good enough. He basically, he doesn't have that one tool other than I guess Grossman did have with the on-base percentage, Mm -hmm. but you know, overall he has a lot of tools that might be, you know, pretty good, not great, but he doesn't have any real clear weaknesses and guys like that can have a way, especially if they have enough pop to be serviceable, get you 10, 15 homers a year that you can be a serviceable major league outfielder for a number of years. And we've seen Grossman after he left the Astros, he's, he's had a solid career in a number of places. And so to me, I don't know, McCormick just has more upside and that's why I'd like to see them don't bench straw. And even if, you know, even if Charles ultimately loses the job, he still has value as, you know, a pinch runner, potentially leading defensive replacement. If you can, you know, he does have the speed. And so hopefully you can iron out those communication issues with time. He's not worthless by any stretch, but you know, I would like to see McCormick get a few more starts because I think he has more upside than, um, than Miles Straw does. Yeah. And, and I think you brought up a good point too, is at this point, what, what do you really lose to allow McCormick to get some more starts out there? Like you mentioned, you know, he's a solid defender. He's, he's shown some with the bat, um, you know, and compared to, you know, like what Straw's been doing with the bat, you know, you, maybe you lose a little bit on the defensive side. I'm not really too sure. Yeah. But if you look at the sprint speeds, you know, McCormick's right up there with Straw in terms yeah. of speed. So that's if that's what people want to hit at, the, yeah. with the speed, maybe, you know, he won't be able to cover as much ground. But he played center field in the minors as well. So I definitely want to see what he can do. But yeah, one other thing I wanted to hit on real quick that you mentioned, and, and it's a, a really good point about how the Astros fans have been spoiled when it comes to, to top yeah. prospects and getting guys like you mentioned, Correa and Springer and McCullers and Tucker, and getting them to come up and contribute at that like 20, 21 years old. And people write guys off if they don't, if you know, they're they're doing it with Tucker right now, you know, that because he was hitting 220 for the first, you know, month or whatever, month and a half. You know, they're doing it, they write them off right away if they're not successful by like 23. And, you know, we got guys right now down in AAA and, and, and Taylor Jones and Ronnie Dawson and, you know, McCormick and some guys that, you know, I think can be solid major leaguers. And we've seen, Every year, you know, there's a guy that 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 
is having an awesome season and it's his first, you know, good season of his career and he's like 29 or something like that. So to write guys off just because they weren't, you know, top prospects or didn't debut at 22 years old or 21, whatever, yeah. it's just, it's not a, not a good take. And I think, yeah, I think the Astros are in that spot right now where they have a lot of, you know, four A guys, the guys that have probably capped at triple A and just are waiting on an opportunity. And maybe McCormick is one of those guys that is just waiting yeah. to, to get that break off, you know, breakout opportunity at the major and- league level. Yeah, at one point, we both brought up very briefly Kyle Tucker. Another reason that I think it's important to sort of experiment with McCormick and see if that bat translates over a larger sample. Now that Tucker's really gotten going, and not that he was bad earlier, he was very unlucky with how many you know hard hit balls just somehow found gloves. But Tucker, especially if he's in that seven spot, people are going to stop giving him pitches to hit if he's that hot and you have Miles Straw in the on-deck circle. So I think experimenting with a better bat at eight, obviously McCormick, you could also do what they did in uh, the Saturday game in Arlington, where it's especially easier when you have Jason Castro. You can put Castro at eight, who's a much better bat than um, Miles Straw. Now, I think McCormick played in that game as well. But the point is you could put uh, you know, I think actually they put uh, Tucker at six, Correa at seven, and Castro at eight to break up the lefties. But the point is you do need to be mindful of who you have behind Kyle Tucker because when Kyle Tucker gets going the way he has lately, pitchers are going to stop giving him something to hit yep, if Miles exactly. Straw is in the on-deck circle. For sure. Yes, exactly. I think one thing, Ben, and, and you kind of touched on it earlier, uh, with Astros fans being spoiled about all of these um, you know, hot prospects that we've had coming up, it's also a good way to really kind of also do another thing that you were talking about, which is kind of just kind of evaluate both straw and McCormick without killing the confidence of straw. I mean, like, listen, right now we have a seven deep lineup, which not many teams can say, so we can sacrifice. I mean, I hate to say sacrifice. That sounds like terrible, but because neither one of them are terrible, but you can at least split time there with both of them or give, give McCormick a little bit more than what you would have, you know, it had, had straw been, you know, like, like doing really well from day one. Does does that make sense? Because, you know, now we've got all these other bats around him, but, but you're right, man, with, with Tucker hitting where he is normally within the six or the seven hole. I mean, once he starts getting going, you're right. They're just going to start walking him or inadvertently walking him, which just pitch around him and see if he just starts swinging at anything. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I'm sure the Astros have a plan for that. So, you know, but Hey, I kind of wanted to segue over to something for you, Ben. So um, let's say you've got um, Ron Culpa, Angel Hernandez and Scott Foster. I need you to rank those in terms of terribleness. Oh, terribleness. So (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Even though I can't stand the baseball guys, Scott Foster is at the top of the list because I firmly believe that the Houston Rockets have a championship, if not for Scott Foster. And, you know, it's complicated because I hate these debates on Twitter where people are like, oh, did it cost you the game? Well, there's a million things that cost you the game. I mean, yes, Scott Foster in game seven, Rockets Warriors was terrible. Guess what? They also had the 0 for 27 shooting stretch. Mm -hmm. They also were unlucky with Chris Fall not being able to play because of his hamstring. So, you know, there's a lot of different things. But the point is that if Scott Foster calls a good game, and this is not just my opinion, this is documented. That's what the Rockets released the next year with the NBA's internal officiating reports. If Scott Foster calls a good game, the Rockets most likely win. And I don't care if they don't have Chris Paul at all. They were going to beat a bad Cleveland Cavaliers team in the uh, bad by final standards. They went 50 and 32 in the next round, whether Chris Paul played a minute or not, they were going to win that. So, 
Um, so yes, Scott's at <laughs> Scott's at the top of the list for me. And then honestly, I'm going to go with Culpa second, just because I can't believe he said that out loud. I say that so many times on Twitter because like the subtext is always there, guys, about you know these umpires thinking they have so much control. I've never seen someone outright say I can do what I want the way he did to AJ Hinch that night in Arlington. Yeah. So I put him on a different pedestal just because like that's you know what you hear people on, on Twitter say you know saying the quiet part out loud. Like most guys don't actually say that. So for Culpa to go the extra mile, yeah, that one sort of blew me away a little bit. Yeah, we were just wanting to goof off and just see what you thought about yeah. Scott Foster being thrown into here. But yeah, yeah. no, man, kind of it's kind of tough to argue any of that. You're absolutely right about Scott Foster. Had he not um, upped that, or I'm sorry, refereed that game, the Rockets would absolutely have another title right now. But that's, so, that's yeah. <laughs> ben, I just want to ask you, we'll, we'll transition to a little basketball real quick. I know this is an Astros-related podcast, but I still want to hear your, your take on this. So the Rockets have, I mean, it feels like, you know, the entire team from maybe three years ago is in the playoffs right now. And, you know, one yeah. guy's here and there. Who's the guy that you're, you're, you're pulling for? I mean, I know there's a lot of options right now. And I know there's a lot of, you know, even fan favorites that are playing on these other teams. But what, what's the one guy that you're looking for that you kind of want to see have a successful deep playoff run and ultimately win a championship? So, you know, definitely Chris Paul is fun to watch from a player perspective, but I'm not going to lie. I'm actually uh, less on the player side, more on the um, staff. I'm rooting for Philadelphia because of Daryl Morey. I think mm. Daryl was an amazing GM over, you know, nearly 15 years here. I think he got a raw deal on a number of levels. I think uh, some fans, for various reasons, never wanted to buy into the, the analytics movement. Mm. I think he was really unlucky uh, with regards to what we just discussed with Scott Foster and then the Chris Paul hamstring. Other than that, they have a championship in 2018. He built consistently very, very good teams. He's also, you know, hilarious on Twitter and, you know, just overall a really good, likable guy. And so I would love to see uh, Gerald Morey win a ring. I also, even though he wasn't affiliated with the Rockets, I also think a lot of uh, Doc Rivers, who's the coach of Philadelphia. So I'm actually rooting for the Sixers just because, um, you know, Gerald Morey, Doc Rivers, I would like to see those guys have success. And then other than that, you know, I would say Chris Paul. And it sounds like I'm being a little bit salty. I know it does um, with – James Harden and, you know, the fact I'm not cheering for Brooklyn, but as I've tried to explain to people for months, it's not about being like bitter at Harden. It's just the trade the Rockets made, the Rockets and Nets, that blockbuster for James Harden, Houston's success for the next decade, a lot of it is tied to Brooklyn's failure mm -hmm. or what we hope is their failure, because of course that means higher draft picks and higher asset value for those on the trade market. And to me, you know, you have guys like James Harden and Kevin Durant in their 30s. If they don't win this year and then we see what happens next year, but they're going to be free agents in July of 2022. It's not crazy at all that those guys, if they don't win rings the next couple of years, could want to go somewhere else and say, hey, this isn't really working. And at that point, those future Rockets picks and pick swaps look absolutely amazing for um, for the years ahead. So for me, it's not, it's not that I'm rooting against Harden to be sort of like a hater, but it's just, I feel like for the Rockets long-term, it's to Houston's benefit if Brooklyn does not win a championship. Yeah, and then maybe right. we get, then we get uh, you know, maybe we see veteran Harden back in Houston with uh, KPJ and uh, Christian Wood and, and Cade Cunningham if we get the number one pick. And I know that's, yeah. I know that's, another, things have I know that's another debate, yep. but – Anyways, Ben, well, I really appreciate you joining us today. But before we let you go, tell the people where they can find you at. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, ben Dubose on Twitter, and then I write for uh, Rockets Wire, which is the USA Today blog that covers the Rockets. Uh, you can find that either on Twitter at the Rockets Wire or uh, RocketsWire.usatoday.com for all sorts of uh, daily Rockets coverage. And then, of course, my own Twitter account for all sorts of Astros uh, musings, analysis, and uh, umpiring meltdowns as well. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to follow at Apollo HOU for blogs, merch, video, podcasts, and more original Houston sports content not found anywhere else. As always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back for our next episode of the Astros Future Podcast, covering your Astros in the minor league system.